Hi, this is Tia Sirkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it begins. A desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this a bit more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. The garbage hole down! Nothing will stand in our way. May the force be with us. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Twin Sons Transmission. I'm your host Eric Pfeiffer, joined as always by the lovely Jesse Sanfilippo. Hey guys. Welcome to episode 154 and we have a ton of great stuff to talk about. We're going to be talking about Star Wars Resistance as well as Star Wars The Mandalorian Episode 3. And I mean, every episode, it's like Friday, amazing, Saturday, amazing, and then Fallen Order, and there's just so much to get your Star Wars fix with. <laughs> I know, especially when it comes to Resistance lately, it's really been getting me excited for episode nine. So, yeah, all of this has been it's a great time to be a Star Wars fan, as yeah. we've been saying. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's go ahead and talk about Star Wars Resistance, and we got a new episode called Rendezvous Point, and this was a really great one. I mean, I know we talked last time about uh, the Relic Raider being a really good episode, but this one really kind of kept me on the edge of my seat as well. Yes, I was not really... Tora's mom was not ever really on my radar, I feel like. I don't know about you. So it was just kind of like a surprising treat that we got to learn about her. I kind of thought she was dead. Is that just me? No, I mean, I never really thought that she would ever play a part. But throughout this episode and throughout season one, we we kind of wonder a little bit more about Emmanuel Doza and like what, what his reasoning for leaving the Empire was. And we got it in this episode. Yeah, and I love that. It was for family and because she changed his mind. And I know at the beginning, when Star Wars Resistance first came out, we were very skeptical of Doza. And especially knowing that Empire background, wondering if he had some other weird motives going on with the Colossus. So this is just like a good feeling, like a final confirmation um, that he actually defected and didn't just leave because the Empire fell or something like that. Well, here's my question. You know, we get to see clearly that Doza is 100% not a part of the Empire and also 100% not a part of the First Order. However, in Season 1, you know, it could just be for story purposes or whatever the reasoning could be. But he does make deals with the First Order. And that poses the question, why? And two... He has his imperial uniform in his closet, which also, why? Yeah, I wonder if it's just kind of like to remind him of his past and to like not make those mistakes again kind of thing. Yeah. And then when he was like in the, you know, heart of making those deals with the First Order, that's kind of when he like goes back and looks at that. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that was like to remind him like, I can't trust these people. Like, 
Yeah. But just keep going the way I know I should be going. Yeah. Well, I, I'm totally excited about the new character, Vanessa Doza, that we get in this episode. And um, we're getting some really cool characters. We got Mika in the last episode. We're getting Vanessa in this episode. Vanessa voiced by Tasia Valenza. And I don't know if you recognize this or not, Jesse, but um, Tasia Valenza is a very well-known voice actress. And she does the voice of Shakti in The Clone Wars, as well as many other voices in Star Wars and it was really cool to kind of hear her voice and I could tell immediately that it was Tasia Valenza and I was very excited to have her on again in uh, in Resistance. Yeah, I liked that her voice kind of really matched Tora and her father's voices. It kind of like reinforced them as like a family unit. Yeah, and if you think about it throughout this episode, I mean, just looking at Vanessa's face you can tell that she resembles Tora you know you can you can just look at her and be like okay yeah I can definitely see that that's Tora's mom and even just thinking about Myrna Velasco right if you look at Myrna Velasco and if you've ever seen her at conventions or or anything like that you can tell that you know they kind of modeled her after her which is really cool to see yeah Um, I could totally see that yeah and even you know toward the end of the episode when Vanessa is interacting with tam and Vanessa stuns tam and was like sorry you know that was like even even amanda and i were when we were watching it amanda was like oh my gosh that is so torah because torah would just be like sorry and then like go off and do her own thing you know (laughs) yes that's so true I, i but she was like i mean torah holds her own at all times but Vanessa is like a real badass like for a lack of a better word yeah. like she's she's just had so much confidence she kind of like reminded me almost of like a Poe Dameron mm-hmm. like she just was like okay how am I going to get myself out of this one like just had no worries yeah. that she was getting caught by the first order yeah the the Colossus was clearly waiting for her at the beginning of the episode and they got to a point where they had to get out of there and they couldn't wait for her anymore and then it was her against literally like that whole star destroyer and battalion of tie fighters and she was able to get out of there and so like you said yeah i mean she she literally had no problem with that and i think she'll be an incredible asset to the rebellion or to the resistance and uh you know we're going to be talking about Resistance Reborn here uh, in our book club here pretty quickly and we've read Galaxy's Edge Black Spire and so we're getting all of these new characters and new members of the Resistance that are going to be coming together to fight against the First Order in the future and I think that Vanessa Doza is an incredible asset and I really hope that we get more from her down the line. I know I keep because you know there's always like that war room shot Mm -hmm. where they like show the whole resistance and everybody's standing around the table planning. Like I kind of can't wait to like pick apart those shots and be like, could that be Vinita? Could that be Tora or whatever? All these like new characters we've gotten. I just, I really hope we get to see some kind of glimpses of them. Like we got to see the ghost in Rogue One. Like I want to see all these people and all these ships, even if it's just a little glimmer. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the day. So this day specifically, it's Tora's birthday. 
and they sort of mention that it's the day that General Organa formed the resistance. And on this day, Tora and Emmanuel Doza would leave the Colossus, meet up with Venisa Doza, and have like a family day for Tora's birthday. And this is something that she looked forward to as a kid and, you know, so on and so forth. And I really think that this episode does a fantastic job of showing the importance of family. And no matter how far you are away from your family, when you come together, that's really, it's really powerful. It shows how important family truly is. And it shows how strong their little family unit is because I feel like not many relationships could like stand that test mm-hmm. of distance and just like an entire difference of, I don't know what you want to call it. Like, it, you know, obviously Doza originally did not want anything to do with fighting in the resistance, it seems like. Yeah. He's just on the Colossus. So and that's just like a whole difference in like, ideology you know yeah so it's cool that like their relationship and their family like meant more to them than that and that they're just able to completely understand each other and do their own thing and not only blood family but your family on the colossus too if you think about it at the end of the episode when everybody else found out that it was Taurus' birthday through kaz and he had that big party and he you know made her gorg cake or whatever that was <laughs> um you know, even Hype was like, oh, this is going to be great. Like, you could hear him in the background just saying, like, how excited he was and, you know, how thrilled the Aces were to celebrate Tora. And, um, you know, I think that they do a fantastic job making everybody aware that the Colossus is a family. Yeah, and even when, you know, the Aces were kind of complaining about Doza in the beginning, mm-hmm. and then they saw how upset it made Tora, you could tell, like, especially, like, through Hype, he was like, no, no, come back. Like, you yeah. could tell that they kind of, like, felt guilty about it. Yeah. Well, there's a massive part of this episode that we haven't touched on too much yet, and that is Tam. And um, we hadn't got too much Tam lately, in uh, the previous few episodes, but we get her back in this one, and I kind of saw this coming a little bit. Like, even at the end of season one, when Tam went toward the First Order, I was like, no, no. Like, I know that at some point, she will kind of want to come back a little bit. Never once in my mind did I think it would be Tora's mom that would sort of get through to her. I would have thought it would have been Kaz or, you know, Yeager or somebody like that. But it really seemed like to me that Tora's mom, Vanessa Doza, really got to Tora or to Tam in this episode. No, I totally agree. And and she kind of like played it all the heartstrings. Like she was like, oh, yeah, I'm Tora's mom. Remember Tora? Tora never did you wrong. And then, oh yeah, remember Yeager? Like he thought of you like a father, or he thought of he thought of you like a daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, like she kind of just like knew enough about her life to kind of like remind her like all the good things that she did have on the Colossus. Yeah, and she tells her, "Don't forget who you are." Toward the end, and I yeah. I really think that Tam. You know, when when Vanessa asks her who she is, she says DT five three three or whatever. But then she like calls her Tam, and I think subconsciously, whatever psychological stuff that Vanessa is doing, it's working on Tam. Just how you refer to somebody by their name, 
Right. Is it reminds Yeah, it reminds you that you're not just a number, you're a person with a life and there's other people out there. Yeah. That are the same. And she was even able to kind of like get through to Rucklin a little bit. Yeah. Like like yeah, she was like, "Oh, just go ahead and shoot through Tora or shoot <laughs> mixing up Tora and Tam. Shoot through Tam." And he was like, "No, can't do it." Yeah. So she told him there was hope for him yet, which I mean, it's just even he's not like as evil as the first order. Yeah. And at the end of the episode, we see Torch, who is Venice's droid, sort of take control of a Tie Fighter and kind of fly away, causing a distraction for Venisa to get into her X-wing and then leave uh, the First Order ship. And as that's happening, Tam says, no, wait. And to me, that means Tam, at this point, is now wishing she was back on the Colossus. 100%. That was the exact feeling I got, too. And then even after they ask her, you know, did the Resistance pilot tell you who she was? And Tam mm-hmm. immediately was like, nope, I yep. don't know anything. So yep. that's huge. Yeah. She went from Little Miss Tattletale to... <laughs> To, nope, I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. So what does that mean? Do you think that the First Order... I mean, I feel like Tyranny kind of understands that Tam's lying a little bit. I don't um, know. Cause, you don't think cause so? She was, no. I, I I don't think so, especially because she just kind of like brushed it off. She was like, she's like, okay, well, we'll figure it out one way or another, um, but we'll debrief you on it. You know? Like, she didn't seem too accusatory of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think we're getting to this point now where no matter what, Tierney is skeptical of Tam because as we see as we see the Tie Fighter like fly away with Torch in it, they make a point to show us just in the filming that Tierney's looking at Tam as she's like watching the Tie Fighter fly away. You know, that's true. I I couldn't tell if that was like. Um... Like her noticing that she was like reaching out to to um, Vinita, or or if that was just kind of like, oh, Tam's here, I'll ask her. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's just wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. One thing I did want to touch on too is that twice throughout this episode, Vanessa asks Tam, "What do you want? Like, what it, what do you really want?" and both times like one time it like cut to a commercial and then like another time it like like they brushed it off so i'm gonna ask you what do you think tam actually wants you know i don't think she knows i don't think she knows what she wants i think she made a snap decision when it came to kaz and eager i think she was feeling really hurt that they did not trust her or that maybe she you know she thought she couldn't trust them And so to her, you know, the First Order, she was believing the lies. She drank the Kool-Aid. She just was thinking that they're, you know, just the government right now. And I'll go to them because obviously these people are shady. Mm -hmm. You know, I think she just did that in a snap decision, a snap moment. And now that she's in it, I think she's kind of realizing that it's not what she thought. And so now she doesn't really, in my opinion, I don't think she really knows what she's doing there anymore. 
See, to me, it doesn't seem like Tam really thinks the First Order has done anything wrong at this point, though. I think she's just more being pulled back toward the people that she's grown up with lately. You know, like, it it, Maybe. it, it doesn't really show, in this episode, it didn't really make me feel like the First Order's done all these terrible things, and Tam views them as terrible, and therefore will go back to her friends because she understands the First Order's bad. To me, this was more like, oh, Yeager views you as a daughter, and, you know, your friends miss you, and things like that, and so I feel like Tam is being pulled back more because of her connection to the people that she had on the Colossus more than anything. That's true, but also at the same time, they've, like, stripped her of kind of who she is. Mm-hmm. They've get like having a number and I don't know, like you're right. They haven't really done too, too much in front of her to make her really see how bad they are. But I just think maybe the entire environment isn't what she was expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and when she asks her, she says, oh, they're helping me fill my dream of becoming a pilot or whatever. It's like, but does that really matter to her? Right. As I think something she's questioning. Yeah, because, I mean, I think she wants to be valued. I think she wants to be trusted. And Yeager never really made her feel like she was trusted. And maybe if Yeager changes his mind or, or, you know, makes her feel like she's valued and trusted and a part of the team, maybe maybe that would have been different. I don't know. But Yeah. And her parents, wasn't her family empire? So I feel like it's just yeah. natural, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what does this mean for Tam? Do you think that Tam's going to get tortured now? Do you think that she's going to do her best to escape the First Order? What do you think this means for Tam and her future? I don't know. I I really think Tam is on the path of really rethinking what she's doing and wanting to go back with her friends so i don't know if it'll take like another run-in with her friends before she truly can see a way out Mm -hmm. because i don't really know how she could get out of there on her own she can't just like hop ship right and go find Cass. so i feel like it's gonna take like another run-in and i feel like it'll be like eager like eager will bring her back or Cass will bring her back like someone big in her life yeah I think so too. I mean, I think by the end of the the series, and we know that this this season is the is the end essentially. I think that Tam will wear that alliance starboard, and she'll she'll be a part of the resistance at the end. But we'll see. Let's go ahead and talk about the newest episode of The Mandalorian, which is episode three, and the episode was titled "The Sin." And this one was directed by Deborah Chow, and this was, I think, probably my favorite episode of the series so far. And granted, there's only three, but I totally love this one. Yeah, I would agree. This was this was a really, really good episode. And again, just like the cinematography and the music, and there's just so little dialogue, and I, I love it for that. Yeah. Like, it's just so creative and cool to see how they convey a story with very little conversation right and i want to talk about a couple main points and one of them is going to be 
Mandalorians and their culture. And we've talked about this before, but if you think about what we saw in this episode, they sort of mentioned that finding, I think the client says, unfortunately, finding a Mandalorian in these trying times is more difficult than finding the steel, referring to Beskar. So at this point, we know that the client and his group of people work for the Empire, at least they're involved with the Empire in some way. And they are sort of saying that these Mandalorians are super rare to find, even more so than the steel. And then further along in the episode, we find out that essentially only one Mandalorian goes above ground at a time. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. What is that? Why are they, why are they doing that? Yeah. They, like, don't want everybody to know that they're still around? Yeah, I don't know. And even when the Mandalorian gets his new armor, I mean, they essentially say that, you know, the armor is going to turn a lot of heads and it's going to get a lot of people looking at you. And I'm sure part of that is the armor, but maybe part of that is also the fact that he's just Mandalorian. And if a lot of people knew that there were a ton of Mandalorians in that area, maybe that would turn some heads. I don't know. Yeah, and it got me thinking, too, like, if only one of them is surfacing at a time. I mean, he's obviously part of this guild and mm-hmm. seems to be pretty active and doesn't really, only really seems to go below ground to get new armor. So, like, is everyone else just kind of, like, waiting for him to, like, screw up? And they're like, okay, tag out. Like, <laughs> next, like, what are... I wonder yeah. what the rest of them are doing down there. But the other part is, too, like, he goes to other planets, so... At that point, can they True. then go above ground? Like, I just... Maybe. It's crazy. I don't know. I feel like, and as we find out toward the end of the episode, at some point, you just don't care. You're just going to, like, go above ground and do what you want and save your your bloodline, I guess. Right. But they mention that the Great Purge is the reason why they stay hidden. And, you know, I've been a Star Wars fan for a long time. This Great Purge, what is this? What is the Great Purge? I don't know. It almost, because in his flashbacks this time, because he he seems to always get flashbacks to his childhood when his armor is being built. Mm -hmm. And at the end of this particular flashback, the droid, forgive me, I don't know the model. Do you know? They're like the big... The super battle droid? The B2 battle droid? Yeah. B2s. That is like Clone Wars era to yep. me. When I see those, I think Clone Wars. So is this like like a weird mall takeover time period or like after like I don't I I I'm kind of confused as to when this is. The thing that makes me confused is that so we're getting in episode in season seven of Clone Wars, which is coming out in February. We've been told that we're going to get the Siege of Mandalore, and obviously that's during Clone Wars time. And so we're going to have a lot of Mandalorian influence in these episodes. We got a lot in Rebels. We get a lot in Clone Wars. I just don't know. I really do think that what you're talking about, you know, with the flashbacks, with the Foundling thing that we get, that this part of the Mandalorian did take place during the Clone Wars because not only do we see the super battle droids, but we also see the droid gunships flying over. 
and I think that that's really indicative of the Clone Wars. So I do think that that was during the time of the Clone Wars. What planet that's on, I have no idea. Is that part of the Purge? I'm not sure, because they really... It seemed like they were referring to the Empire being the reason that they're part of the Purge or that they're hidden. And that's not the Empire, that's the Separatists. So, I don't know. Yeah, because all the Beskar had Imperial, like, imprints on it. So, I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Now, we talked a little bit on our last episode about foundlings and the signet and all that stuff. We get a little bit more in this one. Um, There's a bunch of foundlings. And the signet is, um, now I was talking to one of our other friends about this too, is like, even before this episode, he's like, I think it's sort of like a, you know, like a sigil in a way of like a creature or something that you like associate yourself with. And I was like, oh, so it's kind of like a Patronus. And he's like, yes, that's a good way to talk about it. And I was like, okay. And then in this episode, they sort of, when they're forging the new armor, the, um, the armor maker person the the woman she basically talks to him about the mud horn and having that be his signet and then he sort of you know honorably says that it wasn't a noble kill and and so on and so forth so it sounds like it's a it's sort of like a rite of passage of a creature that you beat in battle or something that you can then use as a symbol of who you've become essentially I don't know if that's yeah. how you viewed it as well, but no, that's that's how I viewed it too. It, it made me want to go back and look at like Boba Fett's armor and try mm-hmm. to figure out what his signet meant, or if I mean he's not very traditional though, as far as Mandalorians go. So it would, might be, might not be the same thing for him. Yeah. Uh, there's also something in this episode where the person building the armor said that the foundlings are the future. So, knowing that, do you have any additional thoughts on what these foundlings might be? I still kind of feel like they're, like, orphans. Like, Mandalorian orphans from the Great Purge. Yeah. And they're just, you know, didn't have a family to inherit or to help them, you know, build armor or learn the Mandalorian way. And so they're helping them, this this ragtag group of of leftover mandos yeah and it seems like our mandalorian this mando it seems like he's very um sensitive to the foundlings and anytime he has excess i mean he used some for the whistling birds in this episode but then also whatever he had left from that and his armor went to the foundlings so it seems like he's really sort of sensitive to the needs of the foundlings and Anything that will benefit them, I feel like he's right there to help them out. He is, but at the same time, when they're talking about that, they're just like, this is the way. Like, of course, you're donating this. This is the way. And everyone around him is like, yes, this is the way. So, like, it's almost like it's like it would be a dishonor, like, in their culture. Not not to. to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Our secrecy is our survival. Our survival is our strength. This is the way. We'll see. I don't know if there's there's more to what we get than in this episode. And granted, we're three episodes in, so I'm sure there's a lot more to be learned. 
but there's so many questions and that's what i love about this like we could talk about this forever uh we get paz vizsla in this episode voiced by john favreau who also did the voice for pre vizsla in the clone wars paz vizsla is the dude with the massive blaster the the heavy the heavy mandalorian and it was really cool to see him in this episode and as soon as he spoke i could tell it was john favreau and i'm glad he put himself in the in his show yeah especially staying within the Vizsla clan it makes yep. sense yep definitely let's talk about the guild a little bit so the guild we found out a little bit more about how they work and what the rules are so essentially with this guild is you do your job and you ask no questions after it's done I mean, it's essentially against the rules, like with Armando in this episode talking to not only Grief Karga, but the client about what's going to happen to the kid after he turns it in. And it doesn't seem like they really care about dealing with his questions. I mean, this guild is all business to the point where our client had sort of told us that people with the fobs were also his. I mean, he had to do mm-hmm. what he needed to do by sending other people after this asset. And we had seen the, you know, the Trandoshans and and other characters uh, going after this asset. Do you think that every single one with these fobs was part of the client's plan to capture this asset? Like part of the exact same deal for the yeah. Vascar? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, I guess so. Part of the part of the guild that was hired by the client to oh. capture the asset. I feel like they were all part of the guild. Like they all seemed to. I mean, some of them came out of like the woodwork later, like different parts of that town. But most of them seemed to come from that bar, and it seems like that bar is like the hub for the guild. Like just the way Grief Karga, like he was laying it on so thick. Like, with the Mandalorian being like, they all had them, all of them, but no one is as great as you are. Like, and he was, like, yelling it so that, like, they could all hear, which just obviously stirred up trouble. But, so that just made me think, like, yeah, like, that whole place, that was, they were all guild members. Otherwise, why would he be yelling, you know, so loud about it? So if you think back to IG-11, when IG-11's orders were to terminate the asset, was that also the client? Because the client didn't really seem to care if it was alive or dead. The doctor, Dr. Pershing, did. Yeah. I wonder if, like, he just, behind Dr. Pershing's back, hired a bunch of other mm-hmm. people to kill Yoda Baby. Yeah. Just so, yeah, because he just, I, I, I just don't know why he would want it dead still at this point. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about Yoda Baby and what Yoda Baby's influence is on this. So clearly, Yoda Baby, even in this episode, has a massive influence on Armando. At the beginning of the episode, Yoda Baby's sort of screwing off a knob on a lever on a ship. And by the end of the episode, our Mandalorian is giving Yoda Baby the knob to play with instead of scolding him saying it's not a toy so mm-hmm. clearly our mandalorian had a somewhat change of heart i mean just by asking like what they're doing with it 
shows you that our Mandalorian does have a heart and does care about what happens to it and going through and dealing with all the stormtroopers and infiltrating the client's lair and and all that stuff really kind of shows us that this Mandalorian is not completely ruthless like he does care about this thing yeah I feel like that line is just drawn when it comes to dealing with kids like Mm -hmm. I feel like the average person, even in this time, like bounty hunter is obviously a very popular profession during this time. Um, Obviously, there seems to be like a gazillion of them just in this one area. So, but like, so that just has to mean like a lot of average Joes that came out of work after the empire fell are becoming bounty hunters. So like that average person isn't going to be down to just like hand over little tiny Yoda babies. Yeah. What do you think the Empire wants with Yoda Baby? It has to do something with his Force abilities, right? Like, otherwise he's just a baby. That's why I wonder if they're, like, studying his... I don't know. Maybe they're... I don't know. And who who even... Because it's the client who has an Imperial symbol on his body, so... Does that mean he's, like, trying to start up his own little empire faction? Because they they show... The moral of my story is I don't know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but they show that there's that one scene where the Mandalorian is kind of, like, looking through and listening through the wall. Yep. And he can hear Dr. Pershing and the client talking. And the client tells Dr. Pershing to hurry up get whatever you need to get from Yoda baby cuz i can no longer guarantee your safety. Yes. So like what was that? Like He says extract necessary material and be done with it. I can no longer guarantee your safety. Like necessary material like midichlorians? They study right. midichlorians? Yeah. Also, at that point it makes you think that the client is expecting an assault of some sort. Like, there's, there's going to be people that are infiltrating what they're doing there. Why would he expect that? There's no reason for, other than a change of heart in The Mandalorian, I mean, he could have taken his next job from Grief Karga, flown off, gone to Karlak, and dealt with that Mon Calamari, instead of coming back and, and dealing with the Empire and trying to get Yoda Baby. To the client... There's no reason to expect that, though, unless he knows something more than we do. Right. Like, I wonder if there's just, you know, everybody's in a power grab right now because the Empire has fallen. So are there just like a bunch of groups trying to seek power in this new way that Luke Skywalker just, you know, demonstrated to all of them is still out there? They're like, okay, well, I'll find, you know, my Force user and then I'll be able to start my own empire all over again or something yeah i have another question for you too so we clearly see grief karga show the mandalorian that he has beskar in his jacket or in his clothing and then at the end of the episode our mandalorian shoots him directly in the chest do you think that there is any sort of motive for the mandalorian to keep grief karga alive did he shoot him right where that beskar is on purpose or is that just a happy coincidence for Grief Karga? I don't know. 
I don't know, because I guess the only reason that he might keep him alive, maybe he, like, respects him from the guild or something. I mean, this guild is how he makes his money. So does he need Grief Karga as the head of the guild? I just don't see them letting him back in the guild at this point. Yeah. You know? So I almost feel like he was trying to kill him because obviously Grief Karga doesn't care about this kid. Mm -hmm. So that makes him kind of like a bad person. Right. So I could see him really trying to get rid of him so that because otherwise if with him alive, that that is what kind of keeps Yoda baby in danger to me more so. You know, he could have eliminated an entire, you know, leader of an organization. All of those people are after this one baby. And that's not even anybody to do with the client. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a couple more things I want to talk about. One of them is related to kind of like what's next. So at the end of the episode, we have all of these bounty hunters, a lot of these members of the guild, including Grief Karga, after the Mandalorian. A lot of them had the, the tracking fobs, and with the help of the Mandalorians on the planet, uh, our main character, Mando, escapes. So what's next? Now he's got all these people. If they survive the Mandalorian attack, they're going to be after him. So is he going to be on the run for the rest of the series? Yeah. he's going to be constantly defending yoda baby against people after the asset and that's that's where we're going that's what our season one is about it seems like yeah i would say so i mean we have all these other characters we've been shown in the trailers and just in you know promotional interviews like cara dune Mm -hmm. and all these people who are still going to come into the mix and probably twist the storyline a little bit but I can't see, I just can't see this season without a Yoda baby. So I can't see this getting (laughs) like wrapped up, like him just dropping him off, you know, on some planet. We'd be like, oh, here, will you adopt this Yoda baby? Like, you know, like I feel like he's going to, he's invested and it's going to stay with him for the rest of the season. What did you think of that whole scene with them talking about the helmet and not removing the helmet, never having the helmet removed, never having, well, never removing your helmet and never having it removed by anybody else? Do they sleep? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the weird thing is if you think about Django Fett, he takes his helmet off. If you think about Sabine, she takes her helmet off. Pre Vizsla takes his helmet off. And I don't know if that's just... Bo-Katan. Yeah. Like, what is, what is that? What does that mean? I, is that a new thing? or? I wonder, too, if these, if this specific group that we're looking at is, like, built on foundlings, you mm-hmm. know? And they kind of have this idea of what a Mandalorian is, and they have, like, this lore of what a Mandalorian is, and they're just trying to rebuild and trying to, like, follow that to a T, as opposed to the Mandalorians that we've known in the past, they didn't have anything really. Yeah. You know, they, they had their security in their Mandalorianness, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, they make a massive deal out of it. Cause even in the first episode, when he's trying to ride the blurg and Kuwil's like, Oh, maybe if you take your helmet off and he's like, no, you know, he ignores it. So they're making a huge deal about keeping him and keeping his identity, you know, hidden. So, 
We'll see. I don't watch this show uh, with subtitles, so sometimes for me it's hard to understand what certain things that are said are. But at the end of the episode, there's a sentence that's said by, I think it was the Mandalorian, that said that they're going to have to relocate the Culpers. Is Culpers the right word? I don't know what they... I don't know. I, I always watch this show on subtitles, at least after I've watched it the first time without them. And mm-hmm. I did not do that for this episode. No, I don't. I don't know. Because I tried to Google it and it was like not telling me what I wanted. So I could have been just briefly Googling it and not getting the correct results. But the Culpers made it sound like it was that specific group. But there's Vizlas there, you know, like Paz Vizla. So I don't think this is like a part of Clan Vizla. You know, like you said, maybe this is sort of just an organization of foundlings a group of foundlings that are part of many different clans that sort of gathered together on this planet and teamed up. It's something that sounds like Culpers. So I'm not sure what that is, but I think that'll be interesting to see as we go on what that means. I was just trying to Google it really quick to see if I could find the name. Yeah, no, I don't, yeah, I don't know what it was, but I was kind of surprised not to hear not to hear clan, like you said, like the Vizla clan. I wonder if that is because they're foundlings and they had to make their own name or because they're from so many different clans that they couldn't just pick one name to name it and they, you know, made something up. Yeah. The last thing I want to talk about before we go is Yoda Baby a little bit, and we don't know much about Yoda Baby. However, we know that it's Force-sensitive, and in this episode, it seems like Dr. Pershing, who obviously is performing tests on Yoda Baby, refers to Yoda Baby as a he. So, just based off that, I'm going to refer to him as a he, because he says, if it wasn't for me, he'd already be dead, don't hurt him. And so I'm just going to just assume that it's a he. I mean, granted, it could be a she, but I don't know. So it'll be interesting to see if that's the case or if it's not. But I guess we'll find out. And I wonder if he was successful in getting whatever he was trying to get from Yoda Baby. Yeah. I mean, Yoda Baby looked like he was in pretty bad shape when the Mandalorian showed up. I mean, maybe he was sleeping. I don't know, but he did not look like he should have. <laughs> yeah, well, Dr. Prynol and Dr. Pershing said that he would have been dead already. Yeah. So what does that mean? Like they were just waiting to get what they needed to get from him and then they were going to eliminate him. Yeah. I don't know. All right, well, we got a lot of episodes of The Mandalorian yet to come, so there's only so much we can speculate on before we just have to watch the next episode, which is going to be out on Friday, which is the 29th, I believe, of November. I'm not sure if this episode will be out by then or not, but it'll be around that time. My plan is for this to be out by then, but we'll see. So I guess we've talked a little bit about what we think is going to happen next. The you know the Mandalorian is going to be on the run. We're going to have a lot of people after him and Yoda baby, but he's got his best car and he's also got the assets. So I mean he's pretty much come out on top, which is pretty awesome. So we'll see what happens next on Friday. Before we go, Jesse, why don't you tell people where you can find us on social media? 
You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all under the handle at Twin Suns Outpost. If you're looking for places to listen to us, you can find us on our website, which is www.twinsunsoutpost.com. Click on the podcast tab on the left-hand side, and you'll find all of our episodes there. You can also find us on iTunes, as well as the Star Wars podcast app on the Google Play Store. Thank you so much for listening to episode 154 of Twin Suns Transmission. We'll see you next time, and as always, may the Force be with you. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, Harrison Dula from Star Wars Rebels. You've been listening to Twin Suns Transmission, an exciting show where sand gets everywhere. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you, always.